Charles didn't have just any coronary artery disease. He had Charles's coronary artery disease. Michelle didn't have just any heart attack. She had Michelle's heart attack. At VCU Health Poly Heart Center, we know every heart is unique. And as Virginia's only nationally ranked heart program, we'll keep them beating healthy and strong. VCU Health Poly Heart Center. Learn more at vcuhealth.org heart. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Camille Daghorn has almost a decade of experience in social media and influencer marketing. Having worked at several advertising and entertainment marketing agencies, she has successfully executed multifaceted marketing programs for some of the world's leading brands and Fortune 500 companies. Such companies include Dove, L'Oreal, Tresemme, Simple Skin Care, GoPro, MasterCard, and Skype. Camille's specialty lies in working with digital influencers from tech enthusiasts to extreme athletes to fashion's it girls. She successfully executed hundreds of campaigns. Currently at United Entertainment Group, Camille serves as a senior director of talent and influencers. She is the expert on all things influencer under their Unilever brand portfolio. At UEG, she leads influencer identification, contract negotiations, on-ground event management, and strategic campaign planning. Camille plays a significant role in expanding UEG's influencer footprint and fostering the company's influencer marketing team within their New York office. Welcome to the podcast, Camille. How's your morning going so far? It's going well. It's very warm. It's very warm outside. It's <laughs> yes. like another, what, 90 plus degree oh my day. Gosh, I know. It's it's like I don't look forward to the winter, but it's days like this where I'm like, eh, it could be a little cooler. <laughs> oh my gosh. But like in the winter, aren't we all like, I'm just dying I, for yes. sunshine? Yes, exactly. Yeah. I just love not having to wear a coat. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, that makes total sense. Yeah. I think that the grass is always greener. Mm-hmm. The grass yeah. is always greener <laughs> in every situation. Well, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy Thank you. to have you on. I'm so excited. This yeah. Is so, cool. so everyone is dying to hear just like all about you and your background, like how you got to where you are today. We were chit-chatting a little bit before about that and everyone would love to know how did you, you have a really interesting background <laughs> and so yes. how did you end up falling into the influencer space? Like how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I mentioned before I kind of grew up in a really small town. I ended up playing field hockey in college and I graduated from Michigan State. I studied in their communications department and I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do. I was really interested in PR and advertising, and I kind of knew I wanted to go that route. Um, Social media wasn't really a career at the time. Obviously, there's no major in influencer marketing. So I kind of followed that path, and I was interning at a workforce development agency in Lansing, though kind of helping to attract and retain students who were graduating from Michigan State and nearby universities. 
to work in the Lansing area. And I was helping different workforce councils develop social media strategies to target their students and invite them on tours to the different companies in the area. So it was really interesting. I had kind of a knack for social media. I loved it. I was on Twitter every day. I was obsessed. So Twitter was your jam. Oh, yeah. That was my jam back in the day. Is it not your jam? No, I don't think I ever use it other than (laughs) to like tweet about the Real Housewives. (laughs) Wait, wait. Which Real Housewives? All of them. All of them. (laughs) Wait, you don't have a My favorite is New York. Oh, for girl, sure. Yeah, they're the best. <laughs> yes, they are. A did plus. you watch the third part yes. of the finale? Of course <laughs> it was I did. a three part finale. Oh it my is God. A plus television. Yes, it Give is. Give them an Emmy. I don't know. Yes. It's just, yes. It's just amazing. Yes, it is. And it's so infused into pop culture today. I think everybody knows who they are. They're in page six. Like it's it's crazy. Yes. <clears throat> so I was That's doing a whole other podcast. We <laughs> oh, yeah. can talk about I can that totally do hour, a spin off podcast about, about Housewives. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I was working in Lansing, desperately wanted to come back to the East Coast, to New York. It was kind of between LA or New York. And I ended up kind of saving up enough money to come back and get an apartment. I was how did, working. How did you decide on <laughs> New York, though? I think I just had more job prospects in New York. Mm -hmm. So it just seemed a little more feasible for me. My family's from the East Coast. So I knew I kind of had a little bit of a support group there. And it's still nice to kind of be able to go home every once in a while and escape from the city. So that kind of helped my decision a lot. And then I would, before I moved to New York, I would drive home to Pennsylvania. I would get up at like four in the morning and take the bus into New York. Mm. And I would interview all day. Wow. <laughs> I would meet with recruiters. I would meet with potential employers. And I was just so hungry for it. I really wanted to move to New York in the worst way. And it was just, as soon as I kind of got a little bit more second round interviews, I decided that I couldn't live in Lansing, Michigan anymore and kind of operate uh, this double life. You mean Lansing wasn't like like, fabulous Can you come in tomorrow? Actually, I can (laughs) come in tomorrow. And I would drive back after on a Sunday and drive back to Michigan. I was just so... Wait, how long of a trip was that? Oh my gosh, it's like eight hours. Eight hours one way? Yeah. Every once in a while I would do that. And then it got to the point where I was obviously like I have to move back this cannot happen anymore this is crazy so I moved back and I started working at AM New York in their ad sales team for people who don't know what AM New York is (laughs) it's the daily commuter newspaper in New York it's like outside the subway you have these guys who are like Like newspaper newspaper (laughs) here's your AM New York and they like They have, like, all their little isms to get people's attention. They have a quota of, like, they have to get rid of their papers by a certain time Um, or something. Like, they're so pushy. I think so. I don't know 100%. I think that they they obviously keep track of how many newspapers they have and probably at different locations they're keeping track of Or do they just get to go home as soon as they, like, get rid of all their papers? Like, there's some incentive (laughs) there. I'm trying – like, I want to know what that is. I don't know. I didn't quite get that far. Okay. You didn't get the – insider knowledge about that. I okay. Didn't. All right. But well. um <laughs> things to keep in mind. I'll follow up on that. Totally. I'm sure you have old coworkers there, right? 
I don't know if I still know anyone there. No, I no. mean, it was so long, eight years ago, yeah. almost eight years ago. It's like an eternity so, for people our yes, age. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I had a friend who, at the time, she was working at this company called A Thousand Heads, which was a social media slash word of mouth marketing agency. Mm-hmm. And she had asked me if I was interested in applying. They were looking to grow the team. And I was so interested. I wanted that job so badly because I just was obsessed with social media. And the role was kind of helping to create clients' social media editorial calendars and coming up with the different content strategies. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. Mm -hmm. So I ended up getting that job. And my first assignment was to find 120 mommy bloggers for a back-to-school campaign, and I had no idea what a mommy blogger was. I It was just a whole new world. We were all kind of overwhelmed with the world of bloggers and the fact that brands could just send them product, and they would post about it, and they're just uh, deals out there. So it was so crazy, and wrangling 120 mommy bloggers was not easy. But it was before anyone was really paying influencers. So we kind of got really creative with how we worked with influencers, Mm -hmm. quote unquote influencers. Mm -hmm. At the time, they were just people. So we would kind of curate really fun experiences for them Mm -hmm. to take part in with their kids. We would send them care packs. We would obviously send them product, but or coupons. They love the coupons. Also, just maintaining a relationship with them, and I think that that's something that's kind of gotten lost in the last several years. Is just developing a rapport with the people that you're working with. Mm -hmm. So that was super, super important in order for us to maintain relationships with these bloggers and for them to trust us and to continue to work with us. Mm -hmm. So really getting them excited about the brand and motivating them so that they felt encouraged to post about the brand. Mm -hmm. So... I was also kind of helping clients build out their advocacy programs. So that kind of became my niche, I guess, was really working with influencers from a relationship standpoint and developing those relationships to a point where, you know, they were posting for free because no one was paying influencers at that time. You weren't being cheap. It was just nobody was paying influencers. Yeah, exactly. We would send them to events or concerts we sent a few people to like X Games and it was just really cool for them to have that experience that they had never had before. Yeah. And then a certain point, I think everyone started to realize that this was becoming such a huge marketing play. I was working on Skype and GoPro helping build their advocacy programs, which was just so cool. I mean, such different brands, such different brands. And we were able to tap into just these very niche passion points. So with GoPro, it was like extreme sports advocates and people who were diving out of helicopters and just living these amazing lives and obviously documenting it on their GoPro. And with Skype, because we were able, Skype had a lot of co-marketing deals with Live Nation or X Games. So we would work with them to send influencers to these events and then be with them on ground. And we developed relationships that way as well. So we kind of created these like pockets of really passionate verticals from music to tech to fashion. And 
we had this huge networks of ambassadors for the brand. Mm -hmm. And that's really something that's kind of stuck with me throughout working within the influencer marketing industry is just the relationship aspect. And I had to get really creative with the way that we were incentivizing people to post. So it's doubling down on those on those relationships and, and, and finding out what your influencers are passionate about. And so like if you if everyone listening, like so many people, like it's all about relationship building, especially yeah. influencers. Yeah. You want to build like ambassadorships and things like that. And mm-hmm. people who really speak to the brand. And if it's a great relationship, a working mm-hmm. relationship, like everyone's happy, happy at the end, then it's usually successful what tips could you give everybody listening if they're like let's say they they're just starting out and they Mm -hmm. really want to build relationships with influencers like what would you tell them is the best way to go about it I think knowing first of all you want to know who's already talking about your brand doing a deep dive on social media who is tagging your brand every day and mentioning your brand every day so tapping into those conversations because often you'll find your biggest fans are those people and they're the first to volunteer to kind of amplify a campaign or take part in a program or a contest and then finding out how you can leverage their passion points. So we worked with a lot of tech enthusiasts. So is there an event coming up that you can send them to on behalf of the brand? Are there kind of curated experiences that you can provide for them? It's really like experience first. I it's think it's about them. Yeah, it's about them. Exactly. Not just about you. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that people miss that a little bit. Sure. It's really you're furthering their agenda and they're furthering yours. So there's sure. really a, a mutual value exchange there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so you ended up working with influencers mm-hmm. in that role yeah. and really getting like a deep dive into what that's like. Yeah. And then years later, mm-hmm. when influencer marketing is certainly a thing, mm-hmm. it's not mommy bloggers who are all about coupons and not getting paid. They're mm-hmm. still about coupons, but they're getting paid for those <laughs> posts now. You better exactly. believe that. Oh, I remember we would reach out to the same people and they would say, actually, I'm charging for posts now. So it was like, okay. Yeah, and man. so I eventually started working influencers within a paid capacity and working with awesomeness and these MCNs and it was just this burgeoning industry and then it really blew up and we were seeing just this fandomonium around influencers and selling out product and you would see these posts or videos of just swarms of teenage girls around these YouTubers and still it's it's that way today still so mm-hmm. fast forward I ended up working at McCann I was there, you know, getting a little bit of a a different side of the industry, working in more traditional advertising. So I was casting influencers for commercials for L'Oreal and working on MasterCard on with a lot of different types of influencers. So travel and food influencers and kind of entertainment influencers and working more in a social capacity. So social posts, um, Snapchat was a big one. So I worked there for about a year. That was honestly some of the coolest experiences. Yeah. The coolest experience that I've had is being able to be on set for a commercial and seeing how that all comes to life and just all that goes into it, the creative development. And I've been really lucky that I've been able to work with a lot of really 
smart, creative people. And that was just, it was very inspiring to be around, Mm -hmm. you know, such talented people. And then I ended up working at United Entertainment Group, and that's where I'm at now. So I've been there for a little over two years working on their Unilever brand portfolio. So Tresemme, Dove, Simple, Skincare, a lot of their female personal care brands. And I work on our talent and influencer team. So we have different practices, rights and partnerships, experiential, and we have talent and influencer. And since I started, I mean, I think that there were about three of us when I started. And now I think there's eight or nine. So we've definitely grown the team. It's been amazing to see just the sheer volume of work that has come in just for influencer. And I think I've seen the scale tip from 50-50 celebrity influencer and where I was at before. There was a lot more work and definitely a lot more creative development around celebrity. And working at UEG, it's just been ask The appetite for influencer is just so, they're just so in demand. So had a lot of experience working with every type of influencer. I mean, I feel like we've heard it all. We've seen it all. We've just experienced so many different types of campaigns and and um, worked with a lot of different personalities. So it's been a pretty fun ride, not without its challenges. And it's a, it's a tough industry. You're dealing with a lot of very difficult personalities and you really have to balance those, the clients and the agents and the lawyers and, and the talent themselves. So it's, it's like a juggling act. <laughs> and so, you know, what have you learned from that? Mm-hmm. Like what tips would you give people? Because it's true. I mean, you are dealing with so many different mm-hmm. types of personalities and there are big ones. <laughs> there are big personalities. Oh, yeah. And inevitably your job, everyone's job involved is to mm-hmm. just make this work and make it be successful. Yeah. So what have you learned along the way in regards to like how to deal with all these types of personalities? Oh, yeah. I think that you really have to be as objective as possible. You have to really look at it and kind of step outside of yourself because you may think that one person is completely right and the other person is just not making any sense, but you have to step back and be able to analyze the whole situation and really understand both sides. It's so important. And I think working on the agency side, I get it. But I've also sometimes I empathize with the talent or the agent. I get their side as well. And being able to be as fair as possible and as transparent as possible, I think that over-communicating is very, very helpful. Oh my God, I say um, that all the <laughs> time. Yeah, because yes. it's, it's such a learning curve for both sides. Sure. I think there are a lot of things that brands and marketers should know about influencers and that world. Yes. And then there's a lot that influencers should know about the brand side. It really goes both ways. It really and does. And like having a view into that mm-hmm. will just help your personal work, your own work. Yeah, um, exactly. But like being able to open up your mind mm-hmm. and like just think about it at, at the full picture, being able to empathize, mm-hmm. being able to like ask questions to really truly understand the other side like it will benefit you so totally. much. So, totally. Yeah. And I love to be able to take meetings with agents or managers and really explain our process because if they find that it's difficult to work on certain brands or it's difficult, 
you know, for their talent to execute a campaign. I welcome explaining, you know, how it all works on our side. There's concept development. There's, it's no longer just here's the money and (laughs) do whatever you want with it. And if you think about it, the way that agencies work with brands, a brand wouldn't brief you and say, just spend this money however you want to and do whatever you want and we'll just check in with you in a few months. It's just you know? like $100,000. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just a drop in the bucket to us. Exactly. No so I think that there needs to be almost like a meeting of the minds or a panel or something like that That's where women's for. both sides can really understand where each other is coming from for and sure. why things are happening the way they're happening. Just more transparency on each side. And so like, ooh, let's have, we're going to have fun with this. So <laughs> um, for our influencers listening right now, yeah, what would you tell them that they should really know that you wish they knew about your process? Oh, that's a great question. First of all, don't buy followers. Please don't buy just, followers. Just don't do it. Don't we do know it. we <laughs> we know who you are out there. We have tools to figure it out, but also just be flexible. I think that when we come across influencers who are just easy to work with, we'll work with them again. And when we come across somebody who's very difficult, we won't work with them. So it's as simple as that. It's really just, you have to be flexible. And I'd say the same thing to anyone in their career. You have to be able to kind of, you know what you stand for, you know what you're good at, you know your value. But There are some things you have to be flexible with, and some work is going to be more difficult than other work. So I think having an attitude that is, I'm up for a challenge, I'm up for, you know, working with this brand, and I I want to make it successful. And you can tell when somebody is kind of just phoning it in, and we get content back, and we're like, this is not, this is not what we thought it was going to be. So like, work hard, put effort into it, take pride in in, in your work. Yeah, absolutely. And if it's not for you, tell us off the bat, because... I'd rather somebody look at a brief and say, you know what, this is not right. I don't feel comfortable doing this. I don't feel comfortable having this product in my photo or I don't know what people are going to say about me posting about this product. Then I'd rather it just be kind of very up transparent up yeah, front. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I have way more respect for people who do that. So try the product out before you <laughs> work yeah. with the brand. Little things like that um, I think are super important. And so... Uh, we're going to flip it. And so yeah. now for the agents and managers listening, yes. what do you wish they knew about your process? Oh, boy. There's a lot. I think that the same thing applies. I mean, if you are easy to work with or flexible, I, I hate to say easy to work with because I think that some talent know exactly what they want. And I think that for agents and managers, it's probably important to level set with them why certain people are getting cast in certain campaigns and others aren't. There's so much that goes into the selling in of talent and influencers. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, our process is very rigorous. It gets very granular. And I think a lot of brands these days really want to know who exactly they're targeting and where they're spending their money. So we look at engagement rate. We look at audience demographics. So where their audience falls within the U.S. in particular, if an influencer's following is predominantly outside of the U.S., we're not 
going to work with them because it wouldn't really make any sense for from a business standpoint. We look at who's talking within their comments and does this look like a bot or are these genuine interactions? Um, we look at their content style. You know, do we see them as somebody who could potentially create? Oh, hey, kiddo. How was the hill? Educational. Oh, learn a new trick? Yeah, the trick to a happy, fulfilling life, maybe. I learned that mountain air unleashes my inner peace. And rip and pow while well, the whole crew's all, you induces spontaneous joy. Okay, uh, that's nice. The Icon Pass lets you do you at 50 destinations worldwide from 249 Adult. Drop in for next winter now and save at IconPass.com content for the brand. We also look at, you know, what else they have going on. Are they just posting one sponsored post after another? Are they doing other things with their life? Are they launching products themselves or do they have some sort of entrepreneurial background? Is there anything else we can leverage? We really try to work with people who aren't just posting pretty photos on Instagram, but they have a lot more to offer. Substance. And then we also get very, uh, very particular when we are vetting people for fake followers, fake engagements. We have um, several tools that help us identify whether somebody might be at risk um, and have potentially bought followers in the past. So, that, so what are, that's what are a the, huge one. What are the top three like red flags if you're like doing a deep dive into an account mm-hmm. what are the top three red flags that would indicate the potential yeah. of them having bought followers or uh, comments? low engagement rate okay so typically we look at above three percent and now with with gen z influencers they have insane engagement oh my god rates. they do so i feel like that's almost you know we look at their engagement rate and it's triple it what the average is. It and is. so they're kind of raising the bar they in are. a sense. I'd say engagement rate, quality of quality of content, obviously, but quality of engagements. So really kind of looking into who's commenting. Is it does it kind of look like comment for comment type of thing? Because I've seen that as well. And then also we have some tools that can tell us roughly an estimate of potential fake followers. Mm -hmm. So that is obviously like the biggest red flag, right? So those three definitely point us in a direction of whether or not we feel somebody is low risk, medium risk, high risk. And every time we work with somebody, even if we're working with the same person, we vet them all over again because you just never know. Um, So it's better. Yeah. So that's something that I I think I'm seeing a lot more brands crack down on. For sure. I've seen things like if they have, you're talking a little bit before about a following outside of the United States. Mm -hmm. Well, from a business perspective, if you're handling a brand that is like the U.S. market of that brand, you're looking to sell to people in the U.S., Yep. But conversely, people say that that could be a red flag of fake followers mm-hmm. if they're based out of like, I don't know, there's like key countries, like certain sure. countries yes. Um, yes. outside of the U.S. that like if that's their number one country mm-hmm. where people follow them from, like 
So look, I can give anybody the benefit of the, of the doubt. Like maybe they're mm-hmm. from that country. Exactly. And maybe they lived in that country yep. for a little while or traveled there extensively. Like there could legitimately be reasons yeah. for it. So I always like to say it's like a red flag. Yep. It's never like a tried and true, like definitive, like you have fake followers. Mm-hmm. And it's such a sensitive topic when oh, you're talking yeah. with influencers. And of course you can't say like, right. well, she didn't get this many Right. <laughs> but we All also, um, another big one is just change in followers over time. And you can find that out on just a lot of social media tools will give you that change in followers. And if you see they're gaining thousands of followers in one day and then losing half of them the next day, that's a little bit of a red flag. And then if you see like huge spikes in their following, you'll want to go back into their feed and see, okay, did they get married? Did they have a baby? What can we kind of attribute to those spikes and try to mitigate any of that possible fraud identification? What do you guys feel? What? How do you guys feel about like giveaways? I feel like I I don't know if everyone shares my opinion on this, but I don't like them. I feel like it was great, great for the mommy bloggers. I feel like they own that space. They're great at it. And I do see some giveaways where it's meaningful and it's impactful and they're doing something to help people or for a charity. That's amazing. But I think when it's a giveaway of product or I just don't think it's garnering, I don't think it's the people that are following those giveaways and and following the influencer for that they're not staying on their channel. They're just following them for the chance to win free stuff. I think it depends. It depends on so many things. It does. Yeah. yeah. It really depends on what the giveaway is. Yeah. Like, it depends. Yeah. yeah. It depends on kind of what they're asking their followers to do. I it's think, like, tag one of your friends and then yeah. follow, like a loop giveaway. Oh my God. Yes. If it's oh like God. win a Gucci bag. <laughs> like, right. With like one of those like <laughs> ugly stock photos that like 12 other influencers are yeah, using and exactly. it's like fit into your feed. And yeah. I'm seeing less and less of those. I don't really see those quite. Thank they goodness. They feel kind of spammy to me sometimes. Oh, yeah, they do. But I've seen some influencers do an amazing job. They do a lot of those kind of Christmas giveaways and they have like iPads and just amazing gifts. And I think I saw an influencer do one where she gave away I think I don't know if it was money or gifts to single moms and I think that that's amazing so when you can kind of tie it back to a better a greater cause then that's wonderful I'm all for it but other times you can kind of see there's like it just feels gross it feels like I don't know. Yeah. It feels a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little uncomfortable. But it's like what you said. Like, look, if I always like to put on my follower hat. Like, I'm yeah. just another follower of someone totally. who I respect and I love. And and if I was following them and they were doing a giveaway for, like, maybe, like, an experience to meet them. Mm-hmm. Or, like, yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, like, a video call. Absolutely. You know, or, like, something cool. What are like, people going to get excited yeah, about? We yeah. We always, always say, like figure out how you're like nobody else like keep mm-hmm. like stay in your own lane be unique so even you know of course it comes down to what your content is like keep it unique keep it special like even giveaways like I think that all this stuff and I th- I'm sure you agree Kark if I'm wrong but yeah. like any of any sort of content you can always give it a fresh spin oh absolutely you know? like absolutely a, yeah. I think we're working on a sweepstakes right now that's really all about helping young girls and helping them de-stress and I think that that's amazing and and people really want to get on board 
So there's a difference, and I think that there's a way to go about it that's not as self-serving for brands totally. <laughs> or self-serving for, for an influencer. influencer. And so yeah. let's talk about content for a brand. So yeah. when you're coming up with a brief for mm-hmm. a certain campaign mm-hmm. and you want to keep it fresh or you want to come up with some cool idea for this campaign – Walk us through your process at UEG for people who are listening, who are also at agencies, and they need to convince the brand (laughs) that this is a really great idea. Mm -hmm. What would you tell them? Well, first of all, I think our approach and the way we look at influencer is that an influencer is more than just a microphone for a brand. There's There are so many other ways to leverage an influencer within the paid, owned, earned marketing mix. And you really, like we were saying at the beginning, looking into the influencer's passion points. I mean, we work with an influencer who is a photographer. She's an amazing photographer. She's so good. We actually had her shoot our campaign for 2019, and she did an amazing job. She killed it. So... I think just looking at who you're working with and how you can leverage them in different ways so that the consumer is seeing them at different touch points in the campaign. When it comes to brand content, I mean, that's a big one. So we work with influencers. We know that what performs on the brand's channel isn't necessarily going to perform the same way on an influencer's channel. So we brief them separately. And that way they don't feel like the content they're creating for their channel is going to be too salesy or too in their face. They can create separate content for both channels. It's so interesting that you're saying that. Yeah. We had a conversation like this in my office like just a few weeks ago where mm-hmm. the influencer got a brief and they were like, oh, like this is just not what I envision. And more importantly, I don't think this would perform well exactly. on my page. And so it's so interesting to say that because that's ultimately the conclusion that we came to is, is exactly what you're saying, where that was the compromise. Yeah. Was, okay, well, asking questions got us to that answer. Mm-hmm. The question was, like, what are you really looking for here? Why are we so far apart? Why are we disagreeing? And the brand was like, well, we we just, we need this as a brand, like these types of assets. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that's fine. <laughs> so like, we'll just create separate specific content yep. for you based on what you need on your page or your assets or your uh, distributing wherever your usage rights are. And then I'll produce something that I know will perform well on my channel. They're different places. They're going to perform differently. And so it's so funny how for us, it's like, well, obviously, like everyone has their own agenda. They want to get their point across. Mm -hmm. And back to what you're saying a while back is just sort of opening up your mind and asking the other side, understanding and empathizing will get you maybe over that hump Mm -hmm. and to a workaround that'll work for everybody. Oh, totally. And we've seen a lot less of that pushback where it's like, this isn't going to perform. We know. And I used to work in social media and create content for brands. And I know what's going to work and what's not going to work. So I definitely see that point of view. And, And even there's a difference between paid content as well. When you're integrating an influencer into a paid ad, that content performs very differently as well. And it's very prescriptive. It's very specific. You need the product right in front of the screen and 
that's how people recognize there's that product recognition and a paid media team will tell you something very different than what somebody working behind the scenes for a brand will tell you in terms of performance. So we definitely try to keep that in mind. And I think if an influencer is willing to create a bit of additional content, then we are totally fine with them separating and we create two different briefs or even sometimes three different briefs. And then we will update those based on how the brand's content needs change. So in the summer, they may be looking for something completely different than what they're looking for during New York Fashion Week, for example. So We keep that in mind when we do negotiations and when we're briefing influencers. And then along the way, too, sometimes we'll see an influencer who creates content and they are creating content that looks exactly what like what could go on the brand channel and we will commission them to shoot content specifically just for the brand channel. And that's how we kind of get the the content development for the brand a lot of times. Um, so that definitely helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's so silly. Like we will tell our influencers, it's like sometimes it's just like, the simple things are the things that people don't think about. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll tell our influencers sometimes they're like, you know that when you deliver the content in a Dropbox, let's say, you can create like two folders. That's like, <laughs> this is for the brand's use. Yep. And this is my preferred couple images. Yeah. You can sort of lead that conversation. They're hiring Absolutely. you for your expertise. They're hiring you yep. for your opinion. I love people who have opinions. Oh, I know. I would assume And you I do think too. it's really um, RFPing your influencers. We do that all the time when we're looking to do something at an event where we know the influencer is going to be and finding synergies with them. A lot of times you can work with brand partners that they work with. We did an event at Coachella where we worked with an influencer. She was launching a capsule collection. We kind of just threw her a celebration for that. And she happened to be partners with Casamigos. So we got them to sponsor the event. We worked in these other brands and we created this free Coachella almost like party where people could get glammed up. They could shop her closet and all of a sudden we had so many different aspects of getting ready for a night out and people we invited a ton of influencers. We had a media partner and it became this big thing because we worked with her and we said, what do you want to do? And how do you see this coming to life? And we really want them to have ownership in the content that they create and what they build with a brand because they're going to be more passionate about it versus being told exactly what to do. And they're going to want to post about it. <laughs> so. For sure. But I also think that like, because what you're describing is giving an influencer a lot of responsibility yep, and letting yep. them lead the conversation. Like mm-hmm. a, a very lucrative conversation, a, a conversation with a lot of important people involved. Mm-hmm. And I feel like some of my favorite influencers are truly business people at the end of the day. They can speak that language. They think creatively. They, like, you can tell they had many jobs before they became influencers. Absolutely. And people say that our influencers going to last. And I think those types of influencers are going to last. And you can see them kind of like rising to the top. We work with so many influencers and the ones who are very entrepreneurial and understand the business side of it, but also come to the table with creative ideas and they want 
they genuinely want to work as a partner to the brand. That just makes all the difference in the world for sure. Definitely. And so switching gears a little bit. (laughs) So talk to us about one of the major talking points in WIM is that we are, we're a women's specific networking group Mm -hmm. and we like to be really cognizant of celebrating the fact that it happens to be a pretty female dominated industry and it's something worth celebrating because that's certainly not the case in a lot of other industries Mm -hmm. and also that there are, you know, some challenges that come along with that. Mm -hmm. So talk us through your perception of being a woman in Mm -hmm. a really exciting field and how you've navigated through that, if there's been any challenges that you think were maybe gender specific and your experience with colleagues, like the places that you've worked at, have they been pretty female oriented, dominated workspaces? Mm -hmm. Talk to us about your experience being a woman in this industry. I've been very lucky. I've had really great mentors, some of them men, some of them women, And I've learned a ton from all of them. When I was working at a social media agency, my boss was a guy, and he is still, to this day, a good friend of mine, and I can lean on him for advice and as a mentor. So I think it's really important to have those relationships with your male and female mentors. But I've also had some great female role models who I look to because they're confident, they say their opinion. And I think for women, a lot of times, and in my experience, I was, I didn't trust myself to say what I thought was right. I kind of second guessed myself a lot of times. And it was my mentors or my managers who would give me that push and say, you know what you're talking about. Go on that call and tell the client XYZ, you know this space, you are the expert. So I think it's important for women who I think are often told, oh, do you really know this industry? It's so new. I think everyone is looking for an expert or for them to tell them definitively how influencer marketing works and to have a formula for it. I think within this industry specifically, there's a lot of question marks. And I think it's important as women to not second guess yourself and to use your experience in a way that helps you communicate with your colleagues. I think it's important to just have conviction in what you say. So yeah, it takes a while, I think, to build confidence. And especially when you're working with difficult personalities and and strong personalities as you do in this industry. So you can easily come up against some real tough people. So you have to really have a strong backbone and thick skin. And sometimes the toughest people are really some of the most sensitive people. I've found, yeah, so trust yourself and know that you are the expert. And if you know better than person XYZ, then voice your opinion. And if you don't feel something is right, then then stand up for yourself. That's definitely something that I think every woman is working on. (laughs) I love that so much (laughs) because so much of it is like, so much of what you say is how you say it. Mm-hmm. And so when you Absolutely. say, like, just say it with conviction, yeah. you know, and something like that, like, you do have to build, it's like muscle memory. Like, you have to have a few experiences of 
just saying something with conviction and seeing how it lands. Totally. And I tell a lot of younger women or women in general, I have a feeling you're going to be pleasantly surprised with the result if you just give it a try. Absolutely. I think when you speak with confidence, other people, they latch onto that and they want to know more. They ask you more questions. They become more engaged. And I think that they have more respect for you when you come from a place of, I am the expert. I have this experience. I have how many years of working in this industry. I know this influencer is not going to do this ask. So it's hard, I think, for women to be heard ultimately. So having that conviction and being able to trust yourself, it's going to be very helpful. Yeah. And being unapologetic about Absolutely. that sort of a thing. It's yeah. like, oh, I don't want to come across as to this or mm-hmm. to that, or maybe I'm too confident. Like maybe I need to open up my mind more. Yeah. No, it's like, you know what you know. And that's not bragging. That's not being to anything. Exactly. You just know what you know. Absolutely. And, and don't apologize for it because you'll come across, you'll be in a room and everybody is vying for the same work. And I think what speaks volumes is experience and just having that knowledge base. And when you know something, you know something. So <laughs> yeah. no one can take your experience away from you. No, a hundred percent. And the, the flip side of that too is like the people around you they they want that person who has that conviction. Mm-hmm. People feel good if they have a leader. They feel like they're they have direction. They feel like they're heading in the right direction mm-hmm. if you say it with conviction and you you help and lead them. So mm-hmm. it helps everybody. Absolutely. Even if you're wrong, just say it with conviction. <laughs> just <laughs> say you it with figure conviction. it out afterwards. <laughs> yeah. And be open minded to yeah. what happens next. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and be open minded to what happens next. For sure. So we ask everyone this on the podcast. I'm very excited to ask you as well today. What do you wish someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or personal advantage today? Oh, boy. I mean, I don't know if there's anything my younger self I don't think my younger self would have listened to my older self. (laughs) Oh my God, were we the same younger selves? (laughs) I knew exactly what I wanted. Wait, what sign are you? I'm an Aquarius. You're an Aquarius. Okay. Is that a, that's a stubborn sign? I think, yeah, Yeah. I think so. We kind of know exactly what we're going after and we tend to not listen to anybody until it happens. We're also the like dreamers of the world. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) All right. So your Aquarius younger self. Might my not have listened to your older would not self. have listened to my older self. And I have learned just that every challenge you come across is going to benefit you in the long run. So every bump in the road, you will be able to use to your advantage in the future at some point. And when I look back on all of the different work that I've done, it's a lot of the toughest staying up until 2 a.m. working on something or the campaigns that cause tears. Those are the ones I've learned from the most and have been able to apply those learnings later down the road. And when I look back, sometimes those were the funnest times. It's Mm -hmm. it's weird to say, but you kind of create those memories with your colleagues and you, it's, it's like you've been through the trenches and you know. So yeah, I mean, I think that 
you can look back and see, and I, to sound cliche, everything happens for a reason, but you can really draw from your challenging times and use those to your advantage when you're coming across difficult campaigns or difficult work or you're completely stressed and you're balancing a million things, you can know that you've done that before and you've overcome it. And yeah, I, I like I was saying before, just being able to trust yourself. Trust yourself. Yes. Absolutely. I'm sure that people want to get in touch with you after listening yeah. to all these like fantastic <laughs> nuggets from of wisdom from you. Oh, thanks. But how can people get in touch with you? You can find me on Instagram, Camille Daghorn. No underscores. No, no underscores. Space, no, okay. Yeah, that's where you can find me. Amazing. Or LinkedIn. LinkedIn, you can find me as okay. well. Yeah. All right. Thank you so thank much you. for being this on the so podcast much fun. today. You are amazing. Aww, thank you. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments, so comment on this podcast, and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time, and thanks for tuning in. 